Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Time Extend. My name is Adam Ismile, and joining me today, as always, is... Brendan Norrison, and today we are finally going to get round to talking some Need for Speed. Adam, it's been a long time coming. I think Peel must have seen this coming for quite some time. We've been almost teasing it for what feels like a few weeks now. We've been foreshadowing it forever. Um, and, and, and one of the things that we've been trying to do for the last couple of months is like cover topics that we haven't covered before as opposed to just talking about Ridge Racer and o- over and over again. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the Need for Speed thing is definitely long overdue. Um, you know, we covered PGR recently. That was good. That was that was one to cross off the list. But Need for Speed is is a massive series. And I think part of the reason it took us so long to get here is because we just didn't even know how to tackle it. Like, where do you start with Need for Speed? It's been so many different things. It's existed for like, what, like 25 years? I, I don't think there's a racing game series uh, as old that is still active as Need for Speed. I mean, I, I can't think of anything else that comes to mind, so it has to be the one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like you said, we did PGR last time around with the uh, fantastic Alex Easter, of course. Um, and then looking at Need for Speed, it's it's a tough series to tackle because there was at least like a decade span where there was a game every single year. There aren't many other racing games where that's the case outside of your kind of yearly Formula One installments and that type of thing. So it's unrealistic for us to try and tackle every single game, which is why we really had to have a good think about how we would approach this. Yeah, I mean, up until I want to say Undercover, there was like a Need for Speed every year. Um, or yeah. every other year, and then and then you get to kind of that changeover in generations. Uh, I, honestly, like there was that break, kind of when Criterion took the helm, and then I think from like the shift from Criterion to Ghost, that's around the time that we started seeing less of these, and they started taking their time more. I think we all hope that like, well, if there's more time in between the games and development, that means the quality of the games will go up. But that hasn't always been the case. Um, <laughs> it's it's been you know just as spotty as ever it's the thing about need for speed and there are so many different studios that have worked on it that you're bound to find that you know of all the need for speed fans that you meet everyone prefers a different era and there have been so many eras uh my my way of referring to need for speed is it's it's kind of just a reflection of whatever the prevailing car culture is at any given time <laughs> so you know in the mid to late 90s it was about supercars and and exotic cars and concept cars in the early 2000s it was about street racing uh you know in the late 2000s going into the teens it became about action movies and and then you know nostalgia kicks in and what's old is new again and and in 2015 they kind of tried to do the underground thing again but with a little bit more style so, you know, everything's cyclical. And, and, and we come in at a very interesting time uh, in the series right now because, you know, we had Heat last year, which I liked a lot. Most people were sort of, like, ambivalent on it, I think, but I thought it was actually a pretty good game. And now uh, Need for Speed is destined to be a Criterion property once again because uh, Criterion apparently is going to be working on the next game in the series, which is very exciting to all of us who, you know, love all of their work from burnout to uh some of the need for speed games that they've made i like hot pursuit brendan you like uh most wanted 2012 <laughs> but we're kind of yep. splitting that opinion so so yeah it, it's it's a exciting time to be a need for speed fan we'll just have to wait for that game to eventually uh surface 
Yeah, definitely. Um, like you say, you can pretty much split all these games into certain eras. Um, the Return of the Criterion era is one I think a lot of people will be happy about. In regards to this podcast specifically though, I guess we, we address the elephant in the room right away, Adam, and say that we will be trying to focus on titles out with the, the Underground era because, quite frankly, th- these games have been discussed to death and more more importantly, I don't think we're really in a position to give them the care and attention a lot of our audience would like. Yeah, so the, the two Need for Speed Underground games are, depending on who you talk to, some of the most beloved in the series. Uh, and they were popular when they came out. And I'm sure they're good, but I haven't touched either of them once. Yeah, I, I just same. haven't. And so, you know, th- this basically our plan for, for these shows is this first episode is going to be our best of Need for Speed, which is really going to comprise three games. And Brendan will absolutely stun you with one of his picks, I can tell you right now. Um, then we're probably going to do a rest of Need for Speed, which isn't to say that all the games that we talk about in the next show are awful or bad. Some of them will be bad, but some of them will also be like, okay, with some interesting highlights here and there. Um, it's probably a safe space for me to talk about uh, games like Need for Speed 2 that really aren't very good games, but have uh, lots of cool videos and galleries and CD-ROM content that was all the rage in 1997, <laughs> uh, in spite of the fact that they're not very good games. And then, Ugh, after that, uh, we probably at a certain point will we'll cover Underground, and I think that's, that's going to require some legwork from us, because... Uh, I mean, I don't have any of the games, and I'll have to, you know, turn to a good old emulation probably to uh, solve that problem. So, but but who knows? Who knows when that'll happen? That's probably that's that's coming later on. Yeah, I think um, we wouldn't be able to justify uh, kind of any thoughts on the underground series without revisiting it because um, one of the, the friends of the show, uh, Casey, uh, she does great YouTube retrospectives and a lot of the time she'll talk about the the way these games are perceived but how they actually hold up. And I would take for us to talk about these games through the eyes of our younger selves and how perfect they were back then because um, we like to revisit these games before we talk about them and the, the games we talk about today are going to be ones that we've played quite recently or we are still playing them now in some capacity uh, so I think it makes sense for us to talk about the ones that we feel properly enthusiastic about or properly opinionated on and then uh, when it comes to Underground we'll definitely have to do our homework there Right, especially if we want to talk about like the PSP entries of a lot of these games but oh, gosh, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't think that's ever going to happen <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so with that, we should probably just uh, get right into the first game we'll we'll talk about, and I will leave the floor to you to introduce what that is. Okay then, so um, my first pick, uh, basically, um, when I was considering what Need for Speed meant to me and what games stood out, I tried to look beyond the basic kind of supercar, hypercar racing side of things, and look towards where the series tried something different. And I think the first game that really shook things up and felt the brunt of a very mixed reception, but I still enjoyed quite a lot, was 2007's Need for Speed Pro Street. Now, Adam, I think this was the choice you were saying that would kind of blow people away because um, Pro Street is definitely... It's not what Need for Speed fans expected back then and it's still viewed through a very um, controversial eye, shall we say. 
Absolutely. It's funny. I I got this game, and this was, you know, Carbon was 06, Most Wanted was 05. So I'd say that, like, with Most Wanted, the series hit a new hit a new height again. Carbon, yeah. to me, kind of felt a little like it basically retreaded too many of Most Wanted's beats, but was at night, so it was just less interesting just by virtue of the fact that I couldn't see anything on the screen because it was so dark all the time. And Pro Street was kind of like, <laughs> well, you're kind of riding a high, and now what you've done is a complete 180. And it it yeah, was yeah. sort of hard to see coming. That said, I, I got it, and it's, it's one of those rare cases of a game, and this happens a lot with me in Need for Speed, that you buy it hoping that for some reason, against all odds, against everything that you've heard, you'll love it. And this this happened to me with play, with uh, Payback when that came out. I was like, you know yeah, what? I got yeah. $30, Payback's on sale. I'm going to get it. And boy, did I regret that. Uh, <laughs> thing about Pro Street was I got it for Christmas. And the yeah, that Christmas break and I guess uh, end of 07, beginning of 08, I remember staying up for like a week and a half straight until like three or four in the morning. Oh, wow. You know, back when I was like 14 and that's not really something you did. Um, yeah. Playing Pro Street every single night. And I don't know why. Uh, I mean, I like the game <laughs> and there, there were certain things about it that were yeah. really cool that we'll dig into. Um, but it is it is kind of a mixed uh, it, it's a mixed bag, but it's one of those mixed bags that's still very enticing for some reason. Yeah, definitely. And to take it from the very start and to address some of the points you've said there about most wanted carbon maybe feeling a bit too samey but not quite hitting the same heights. And this game was de- developed by Black Box, of course. They were the primary developers of the Need for Speed series at the time. And in their own words, they described Need for Speed Pro Street as a game that was something they'd thought about for a while but weren't quite sure how to do. And then um, after Carbon, they they seen it as the right game at the right time. And the reason they, they thought that was the case was because the street racing that the series was capitalising on, um, whether that be through media, whether that be through the kind of the internet becoming more prominent, racing started to move off of the streets into like semi-organised events a lot. So your car meets, your your street racing syndicates. No, bring any bad memories of that game. That's alright. <laughs> but like. Yeah, exactly. Basically, um, Black Box felt at the time that street racing was of course exciting and racing at night was fantastic, but because the real world was actually shifting towards more uh, semi-professional organised race events, they felt as if it was pretty much perfect to get away from the sameness of carbon and kind of drive Need for Speed in a different direction. So this is why Pro Street came about. And the end result is something that I would describe as Forza Horizon before Forza Horizon was a thing. If you look at this game, the general atmosphere, the festival nature of it all, it's something that I actually find interesting right away because Forza Horizon felt like such a breath of fresh air at the time in terms of setting and stuff, but Pro Street preceded it by quite a few years. And Pro Street, in my opinion, did it slightly better in the sense that, I mean, Adam, you've been playing Forza Horizon 4 recently on Twitch, um, you can attest to this, but Pro Street takes a more serious approach to the racing that's on show as opposed to Forza Horizon's more influencer-driven popularity contest-type vibe. Pro Street is very much a, 
a regular racing festival with some slight melodrama just to justify the overall career structure. Yeah, and it's also the kind of game that, irregardless of how exactly it turned out, uh, and, you know, I, I still think it's a generally good game, but whatever faults you have for it, it just feels like there was a lot of passion behind that project in a way that, like, I don't know if I got that feeling from Carbon. Um, or I don't know if I get that feeling yeah. from a lot of Need for Speed games. Like, there was some kind of weird reverence for, like... Like, like I remember, you know, one of the earliest cars in the game, I think, is, like, the 180SX, you know, the Nissan. Uh, and, indeed. uh... Yeah. That's not a car that I've ever, you know... Yeah, I mean, I guess it was in, like... Well, it was probably in Underground. It was probably in Most Wanted. But that's not a car that you typically see in a lot of Need for Speed games. Need for Speed's a series more where, you know, you're that that car would probably be too slow at least stock to appear in a game like that and there were some interesting and inspired picks around um around the car roster like that and the same can be said for the tracks like a track in pro street that i love that's a real world track that doesn't really appear in any racing games uh is the portland international speedway which is built on um an airfield i believe uh built on an yeah. airport and it's you know that was one of the highlights of the game for me because um, I, I I had known about that track and and my friend Trevor who you know we had on and he talked about uh, the kart racing game on Dreamcast you know that's that's a very famous track in terms of um, maybe not famous but that's a prevalent track in terms of like American road racing but it's not something that you'd ever see in Gran Turismo you might see it in Forza but to my knowledge it's never happened um, you know it's it's just kind of a, a something that's less less talked about and i think that's true of just you know certain aspects of pro street design in general it, it seems like it could have only come from a place of of a of a company of a team that was trying to trying to do something in the vein of maybe like a simulator like inspired from a gran turismo or a forza but do it with a bit more personality yeah. and a bit more um, sort of a, a grassroots approach is I think that's something that really comes through in Pro Street. Uh, this kind of like grassroots approach to racing. Uh, as you say, like the street racing the street racing scene becoming sort of legitimate in like a you know legal above the board sense. And that's that's a cool thing to, to capture. Like I don't know yeah. that any other game has ever really done that. Uh, even, even Horizon, you know, doesn't Horizon's more just like a, a sandbox. It, it, it doesn't take itself seriously at all, but uh, which is fine. But also, by extension, it, it just seems kind of like, you know, don't don't worry too much about the scene. Don't worry too much about the atmosphere. Whereas this game is all atmosphere, and it's it just makes a really um, a really indelible like first impression when you start playing it. Yeah, definitely, and you were saying about how you were pulling basically all-nighters playing it when you got it, and it's an experience that was similar with myself compared to other Need for Speed games where I jump in for five or ten minutes, or maybe more like half, half an hour, to do a few races. And with Pro Street, I always felt myself spending longer sessions. It meant that the game lasted less in terms of like how long I would play it for, but in terms of the actual sessions, they would be pretty long. And I've done a bit of digging on this, and like I said, i played it quite recently as well. And it seems like there there are people who would consider this simcade, believe it or not. Which is a term that I don't like using that often. But it kind of describes it pretty nicely, because the driving physics in Pro Street feel a worlds away from the games that came before it. And there's a few reasons for that, like I've just took down some notes from when I was playing, but 
the game supports automatic and manual transmissions, which is normal. But then you can also choose an option that includes clutch control as well. So you can play with clutch. Um, it's a Need for Speed game that includes ABS and traction control as driving aids that can be turned off or on. And then in terms of the game itself, like there's some interesting decisions. So Autosculpt makes a return from previous games in the series. But it actually impacts the handling and aero performance of the cars on the track, which is that was one of the coolest things about when you the think game about it. that I remember. Yeah. Um, you know, taking that cosmetic uh, attention to detail that Need for Speed always had before, and actually giving you like a, a gameplay reason for it. Yeah, exactly, and it's paired with a, a pretty extensive damage model in comparison to what games came before it as well. Uh, the damage is definitely increased and looks pretty great as well um, in terms of what you would expect in a Need for Speed game, like you're saying, just that level you wouldn't expect. And then um, I did a bit of digging in terms of the development of the game, and it turns out the team used the Porsche test track in Leipzig for getting a feel for the vehicles that were included in the game, so that they could try and replicate the handling to an extent, but still keep it arcadey enough to keep the Need for Speed spirit intact, which is really fucking weird. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's just EA, you know, using their Porsche exclusivity muscle uh, to get what they want. <laughs> exactly. A couple of things uh, you mentioned that, that kind of brought back these memories in me. Um, I remember the ads and maybe like the teaser trailer initially for the game really played up like the the smoke effects uh, for some reason. It was yeah, like, we have that. the most realistic smoke effects in any racing game, which is just, I feel like that's a very like, early early to well like mid to late 2000s type thing of like the sweat on like the nba 2k characters here you have the smoke yeah. uh before you do a drag <laughs> race in pro street but it, it was the thing is it was a pretty game and i think that i i think black box's tenure with that series always kind of suffered from the fact that they're there's just something about black box need for speed game you know when you play it they just feel very similar and maybe it's down to the engine yeah. i don't know what it is but pro street to me didn't feel like it came from a studio or a place or a context that produced any of the previous games it was it was very bright like graphically it, yeah, was, it was probably yeah. the first one that really felt like a next-gen game because i think it you know, it might have been the first one that was primarily developed for next-gen consoles because... I believe it was. Yeah, Most Wanted launched on PS2 Carbon. I, I feel like by Carbon, they should have been focusing on next-gen, but I guess that would have been 06. So, you know, the, yeah. the uh, PlayStation 3 wasn't even out when that game was in development. So Pro Street was the first time that they could really focus on that, and it shows. Like, it's... You know, I would say it's not, it's not quite, like, grid level of just you know astonishing for its time graphically sure but it's it's not too far off and it's very bright uh in a sort of like almost like a blue skies way you could you could say yeah definitely and in terms of like using that extra power as well we've talked a bit about the atmosphere of the game and it definitely has one like even just in terms of the way it's all set up, the kind of hub world between events, like rather than just having a menu, it's like your car in the middle of the kind of festival hub. There's an announcer in the background that comments on your previous race, and if you change cars and stuff, it picks up on that and kind of says, Oh, Ryan Cooper's got a new car, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, just little details like that, they definitely went all in on that personality element and 
I guess that'd be a good time to talk about like the career structure of the game because it features one of the rare um, named protagonists in the series. So you play a guy called Ryan Cooper. Typical story. Enters effectively a clubman race, wins it. For some reason, that annoys the big bad of the game, uh, Rio Watanabe. I know how you feel about racing game stories, Adam. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's where it kicks off. But in terms of what it sets up for the actual gameplay, um, there are five main bosses to beat in the game, each as a specialist and a different criteria. So, like, you had grip events, which was basically just normal racing. Um, you had the drag events. Uh, sector attack, which was, like, time trials, but per sector, which was pretty cool. Um, and you also had the kind of point-to-point races. And then the fifth boss was just, a you versed him in the four disciplines that was real what an abbey himself and the the career mode is actually structured pretty nicely because it doesn't take you out with the racing for too long you, you use a menu you choose what race you want to do and you do it it is like a tick box exercise but the career is structured in a way that it look, you've got like branching paths about what you want to specialize in first there's no set like uh, tree to work through the bosses you choose what you want to do before you get to the final boss. It's a, it's a nice structure that, ironically, I think something like Forza Horizon could really benefit from because that game's just a mishmash of events thrown at you with no real rhyme or reason to them. Yeah, I, I forgot about like the sector attacks and stuff. There, there was a good sort of pacing to the way that that game did um, handle its career. Because uh, I, I remember some of those events were actually pretty tough. Uh, I remember having a hard time with some of the sectors, especially like... I have vague, vague memories of, of one track. It might be in Japan where you're just like driving through a forest or something like that. The road's really narrow and you got to oh beat God, a ton. Yeah. Um, and it could it could get pretty tough. I, and I think all of that speaks to like all the events that you talked about. Those are all things that I could see being real. Like like for yeah. for lack of a, a better way of putting it, like it's there's a believability sort of to the way the pro street's set up i could see there being kind of like some sort of you know again grassroots style racing series that has that sort of x games kind of like mentality is sort of like a traveling festival and does little events like you know maybe not a time trial but we'll have like a sector attack and you know in between races and yeah uh, yeah it's just it's just a i think what you find a lot with need for speed um is that, you know, even when the series kind of doesn't get it totally right, and I'm not saying Pro Street necessarily fits that mold, but like 2015, for example, you know, the atmosphere of 2015 is amazing. You you, you show anyone the trailer of that yeah, game, or you yeah. show somebody a screenshot, or just, you know, choice clips from it, and they would probably say that that is a world that absolutely deserves to have a racing game set in it. Uh, you know, the problem is the execution. Uh, Pro Street at least executed well enough um, to, to ensure that you got through a good chunk of it. And I remember some of the tracks were really cool. There was the one that was, I think this was also in Japan. It was like in like um, a shipyard or something like that. Yeah, the, to- the Tokyo Express. Yeah. Or Tokyo Docks those, or something. Those were really yeah. great tracks. Uh, really great tracks. You had like the... In addition to all of like the balloons and stuff overhead, you had the, the shipping yeah, containers yeah. were really colorful. The the tunnels were really cool. It's like picture a cooler version of the uh, of the Tokyo Expressway tracks in, in Gran Turismo Sport. You basically yeah, that's basically what you have. Um, the the one thing that I want to highlight because you know you've 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 
mark this as one of your favorite Need for Speeds, the handling was what made this game tough for me. And so I yes. want to know how much yeah. of that impacted your experience or if you actually thought it was fine. So the the handling is definitely what makes this a tough game. Um, on that point as well, I guess it's relevant in terms of difficulty of playing through the game. The game also had variable difficulty, so depending on what cars you chose, the requirements to pass said event would alter dynamically. So you couldn't cheese the game, which I think is why another reason why a lot of people remember it being tough, because even if you choose a more powerful car, the, the cars you're versing change, and also the clear conditions in terms of points or time and sector attack will also alter. So you take that and then the handling engine, like you're saying. Um, it's definitely different from other Need for Speed games, but one of the reasons that it is one of my favourites is actually because the handling engine is so different than every other Need for Speed. Like, I remember um, after playing Pro Street and then onto Undercover, I just remember within the first half an hour of Undercover being like, nah, you know what, I'm past this. Like, I just... It was so, like, watered down, even by, like, Carbon and Most Wanted standards, that the, the enjoyment or challenge in terms of driving the cars just seemed totally gone. Pro Street kind of takes it in maybe too far of a different direction where it isn't necessarily realistic, but it follows that rule of thumb that was really prominent at the time where... If a game is hard, therefore it's realistic. That was a, definitely a, a thing you've seen in yep. racing games quite a lot. And I think Pro Street does fall on that side of the fence a little bit. And the problem with that is, if the game's designed around that type of handling, fair enough. But Pro Street wanted the best of both worlds in many ways. So like you were saying, a lot of the tracks would have these tight winding roads that would be easy to navigate by usual black box uh, game standards. But in Pro Street, it becomes a bit hellish, especially if you turn off the driving aids as well. So it was a tough game to play through. Um, the handling, it wasn't the most fun Need for Speed, but I think it had a good level of depth to it that made it so much fun to, to have those longer gameplay sessions with. And then also, just as a side point on that as well, in terms of the tracks that were there, the fictional ones were fantastic. But you also, like you were saying, you've got these licensed tracks in there like Willow Springs. Like, I can't believe that was in a Need for Speed game that early on. Infineon Raceway as well. I think it really tapped into the, the Gran Turismo fan in me a little bit in terms of providing that kind of semi-realistic type gameplay. It wasn't as watertight as Gran Turismo, far from it. But... I think there's just something to be said when you're asking what your favourite is within a series. I think obviously there are going to be the standout contenders in pretty much every game series. But I also feel as if the ones that are closest to my heart, Pro Street was one of the first Need for Speeds in quite some time after playing it that I was like, that was actually really cool what they tried to do there. So I think handling wise and physics, there was a bit to be desired, but also like the level of control you had through it, through the driving aids, through the auto sculpts, impact of handling and aero performance, the damage model. I think like in terms of a complete package gameplay wise, they, they tried a lot more than um, Black Box would ever get close to following Pro Street. Yeah, it, and it's one of those things that unfortunately it was kind of like an experiment that it seemed like you know the media and the market didn't really take to and unfortunately <laughs> yeah, in this yeah. industry if that happens then you don't really get a second shot you know we we talk about that every episode whether we're talking about blur or split second or what have you so 
Yeah, and and you know, Pro Street was one of the last uh, one of the final black box games, right? Because they they had a couple more entries after this. One of which I yeah. think you'll talk about later. I think that was a black box game. So, um, bit of foreshadowing there. But actually, I think all the episodes <laughs> we're talking about all all the all the uh, all the games we're talking about this episode are black box. I, I think what's interesting about black box is that they they had like the longest tenure as a developer uh, on yeah. the series. And it's, I don't think that's because every one of their games was amazing, but it was more just like there was a consistency, even, even when they changed things, even when they kind of, 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 uh, pivoted the series, um, they just kind of understood Need for Speed. They, and they understood what to do with it. And through so many different paradigms, so many different cultures where you're talking about your underground era or, or this or what have you. So I, I think that's why a lot of people have fond memories for that studio and they're, you know, especially depending on when you grew up. I mean, those, those were probably the need for speed games you played the most. Yeah, exactly. And I think pro street is just like probably right place, right time in terms of me growing up as well, because that was kind of early to mid teens starting to kind of re- play games a bit more with thought in my mind. How am I feeling about this? Is it fun? And um, I think as well, it's worth mentioning with Pro Street as well, just in terms of impact, the soundtrack for this game was phenomenal. Junkie XL scored the entire thing. He wrote a song specifically for the game, but in terms of the overall licensed OST, this has a large amount of songs in it, and not many of them are misses. There are songs in that game to this day that I still listen to, um, that I still think are amazing. Pogo by Digitalism yep. is such a great song. Uh, I think there's a Toxic Avenger song in there. It's really good as well. Lots of good, lots of good music in that game. And it, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned Horizon because it's just like, like picture Forza Horizon but more focused. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. It just seemed a little bit more, a little bit more curation, a little bit more attention went to every little thing. And you know, it's not as big a game, and it's probably not as like boundless or is fun in in the same way but it's it's something you can appreciate especially because like we're saying never got another shot i like that you're giving pro street a fair shake because i think a lot of people have heard you say you know 20 minutes ago like what need for speed pro street's one of your favorite and just like <laughs> lost it yeah no and that, that's fair enough like we see like there are there are probably better need for speed games objectively in terms of how they play um kind of cultural impact pro street pretty much faded into obscurity as far as need for speed goes but um you were saying about forza horizon again there and the way i see it like forza horizon feels nebulous in the sense that you are a competitor in this festival that's going to happen whether you're here or not people are going to win races whether you're here or not but need for speed pro street is like, oh shit, who's this Ryan Cooper guy? Where the fuck's he came from? <laughs> like, this guy's winning races left, right and centre. Turns out he's just from the street for some reason. The, the main bad guy gets annoyed by him. Like, it, it frames it really nicely in things like the announcer as well. It sounds silly, but just ties it in pretty nicely. Like how you just bought a car and you go back to the menus and then you hear you, the car you just bought being called out, questioning if it will be as good as the car you've just replaced it with, because the game allowed you to have a five-car garage, uh, one for each discipline, p- plus the boss, the car you would use to play the boss car. It just does a, a nice job of tying it neatly together, and it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Like A lot of what we talk about on this pod is focused games tend to 
resonate with us the most it seems and yeah maybe Forza Horizon is that Pro Street playthrough away maybe playground games need to go back and have a look at what Black Box did and see if they can provide a focused career because Forza Horizon is a phenomenal game and in many ways it's, it's linked to Pro Street in terms of setting and stuff but I think Pro Street does a great job of making everything you're actually competing in feel organised and feel like a festival whereas Forza Horizon because of the open world nature and stuff it often just feels like uh, you're going to waypoints and then initiating a race that the crowd don't really give a shit about what you're doing. <laughs> the crowd's the crowd's too busy partying and exactly. dancing. Exactly, it's a party atmosphere. Pro yeah. Street's more about right. the super serious uh, street racers that have moved off the street. <laughs> Forza Horizon's racing that happens to happen next to Coachella that most people <laughs> who are there really only care about the music. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel. So. Yeah, with that said, uh, we, we covered Pro Street for a long time, so we, we should yeah. probably move on. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I think we, we move on. The last point I'll make about it is that Need for Speed Shift in many ways almost felt like a a kind of spiritual successor slash continuation of the concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the thing about Need for Speed Shift is that it, um, you know, obviously, like, physically speaking, it felt completely different because it came from a totally oh, yeah, different studio and everything. I think it was trying to be more serious and more of a, they were marketing that as more of a replacement to your Forza or your Gran Turismo <laughs> yeah. than, than Pro Street was. So um, yeah, but, but yeah, Pro Street's the one that's often overlooked. But now, mate, you, you've got a proper, proper classic to talk about. Yeah, I mean, like, if you know who I am, <laughs> if you've been listening to any of the previous episodes <laughs> of, of Time Extend, you know that I have to give a shout out to Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 2 because it's, I mean, to me, it's it's just the perfect Need for Speed game. It's like, it, and, and I know that depends on what you consider to be Need for Speed, but to me, because of when I grew up, because of when I started playing these games, you know, 2 was the first one I ever played, and I was really little. But it's one of those things that stuck with me, and I played the game all throughout the rest of, like, the PS1 generation. Um, Hot Pursuit 2 is the apex of the classic Need for Speed, you know, supercar showdown uh, with Hot Pursuit, you know, cop chases. Like, it's the apex of that lineage of the series and that is my favorite lineage so it only stands to reason that it would be my favorite um yeah it's it's just so it's it's so perfectly tuned in every sense for what it needs to be and what it needs to do it's 
Need for Speed has tried to do this like back to basics thing, like hit the reset button. Like they they do this once every five years. It's or once every you know because the games are coming out less often. Definitely at least once a decade, maybe twice a decade. And Hot Pursuit Two was almost kind of the series doing that for the first time. You know it it uh it wasn't like a reboot in the sense of like an underground, but it was yeah. like oh we had like high stakes kind of took a lot of inspiration i feel like from like a gran turismo and stuff because you were like buying cars and the tracks were um everything was based around championships hot pursuit 2 with a fair bit of that as well but it just seems to be getting more involved uh there was also tuning as well and then porsche unleashed was porsche unleashed is a is a pretty beautiful game in terms of it being a send-up to you know one manufacturer and the manufacturer yeah. that's very important but then you're you're getting even further away from the from the Need for Speed formula, and you know, cop chases have a lot to do with that. So with Hot Pursuit, they bring back the cop chases, and it's just everything I've ever wanted from an arcade racer. Like I have to be honest, like wow. I, when I think like, <laughs> and 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 there are different kinds of arcade racers, obviously, but I think that to me, this is the best purest arcade racer it's ever been made and what i mean by that is like the combination of track design sense of speed um and those cop chases uh right. you know I, I i think burnout three you know you could argue burnout three maybe um paradise is like up there too but to me that's more of a combat racer and like yeah if you want to talk about like daytona usa or or scud race or you know ridge racer five or a kind of like that style of arcade racer that's more technical and just about the racing like okay sure that's a different game but i think if you want to talk about like sort of action arcade racer need for speed hot pursuit 2 is it like it just is like there's never a dull moment in any of the races that you have in that game um the sense of speed is unreal and here is where i will make a big qualifier yeah uh, that i should have probably said earlier um which is that if you played if you played need for speed hot pursuit 2 on the ps2 you know what i'm talking about if you played need for speed hot pursuit 2 on the xbox or the gamecube or the pc uh you might not have any idea why i'm talking about this game and <laughs> that's because they were developed by two different studios um you know this uh, hot pursuit 2 came out in 02 uh black box handled the ps2 version and only the ps2 version whereas uh ea seattle handled the versions for all the other systems and the theory there ea's never given the reason why they did this i i can only kind of uh, constrain it to two things one is that maybe this was kind of like a proof of concept for Black Box of like, we'll let you have the series if you can if you can do it right. Um, yeah. Because I don't think Black Box made the previous Need for Speed before this. Uh, the bigger reason may have had something to do with the fact that the PS2 was based on more of a legacy architecture uh, in terms of its hardware compared yeah. to the Xbox and the GameCube, uh, which were more closer to the PCs. And so... That's probably why. And, and EA Seattle was actually the team that was responsible for the PC ports of a couple of the previous Hot Pursuit or the previous Need for Speed games, whether that was uh, Need for Speed 3, the first Hot Pursuit, or High Stakes, or Porsche Unleashed. Uh, they, they handled all of those titles on PC, so they were kind of a natural fit 
um, to, to take the Xbox and GameCube versions as well. And, and so this is very much a tale of two games. And uh, we, we, we can get deeper into the differences between them. But before I do that, I'll take a breath and ask, uh, Brendan, do you, have, do you have any history with this game? Have you ever played it? I've played it, but it was quite some time ago now. So like in terms of insight from recent times, I would be fairly limited. But one thing I do remember was how thrilling the gameplay was. And I think... Like you're saying, in terms of that balance between what the, po the police are able to do and how how easy it is to lose them or how hard it is to lose them, I distinctly remember this game having the best balance and I don't think Need for Speed has ever actually gotten to that point again. And I guess that's why the game benefits from having that as a main focus. Yeah, the, the cops are exactly as good as they need to be. Uh, yeah. there's no way around that. And, and the thing about the cops too, is I, I feel like in later games, the focus on the cops was arresting you, which, exactly. which is yeah. fine. Like that's definitely in heat. You're always just trying not to get caught. But when it comes to hot pursuit two, yes, you can get arrested. But the bigger problem is that these are happening during races. They're not happening during free yeah. roam events. And so even if the cops just slow you up or make you screw up, they've already done their job. And and that's <laughs> that, I think, is a critical dis, uh, difference between this and the, and the game like Most Wanted or Heat, both of which have have cop chases like during the race. But the the main event is really when you're free roaming. And those those are fun chases as well. Um, but I, I do think that the balance is an important thing to talk about because when you get to say uh, Hot Pursuit 2010, which I think is a pretty good game and you know it was Criterion's debut with the series, you start seeing like, oh, we need to give the racers like tools to fight back. We need to give them weapons. We need to give them EMPs. We need to give them radar jammers and all sorts of other things and yeah. their own spike strips. <laughs> and to me, that kills it, to be frank. To me, that's... Now it's just the red team versus blue team. It's, you know, I think the cops should have an advantage. The cops should have an advantage. The cops, maybe the cops are, you know, maybe they, they can't, they're clumsier in terms of like, you know, they can't turn quite as fast. You know, maybe they're fast in a straight line, but they're not good at following you. But they definitely like, there should be more of them. There should be way more of them than there are of you. And you shouldn't have the ability to just press a button and, and, and fight back like that's that's what the cops are for uh and so exactly. i i love that hot pursuit doesn't give you anything to deal with that they just don't what the the only tools you really have at your disposal in this game is that um th there is a button where you can kind of look ahead uh you press it and essentially and i don't know if this was a thing actually in the non-ps2 versions but in the ps2 version you press this button and there's this like fire trail that just that blazes a path up the road in front of you that kind of reveals what's coming up. These things are also revealed on your map. So it's not it's not like, you know, you need yeah. to use this over and over again. But that's really all you have. And uh, I think it's I think it's better for it. Um, I, I, I really do. The the police in that game, they'll use spike strips, they'll use boost, and they have when when they're really mad at you, they will bring out a helicopter that will either drop like explosive barrels which you can hit uh and they'll just totally like wreck your shit or they will shoot rockets at you which is pretty funny uh because they're just like these like flashes of light <laughs> that you don't even really see coming and then they hit your car and all of a sudden your car's on side um so so yeah the, the cop chases are a big part of it and 
the modes as well that allow you to be the cop are are very, are very well done too. Um, I think what Hot Pursuit's greatest uh, Hot Pursuit 2's greatest triumph is though is uh, is the track design, because to be brutally honest, I can't think of a game with better overall or more iconic track design at least an arcade racer than this you know i mean you know we're not we're not talking about like the holy grail of gran turismo tracks of trial Mount, trial mountain and grand valley or anything like that if we're, if we're talking about like <laughs> arcade racers like yeah every track in this game is amazing and it, it culminates in this final track that you unlock uh, it basically, you have like four or five different locales in this game. You have your like forest one. There's a canyon one. The canyon one, I think, was a PS2 exclusive. Um, there's a tropical one. There's a kind of a fall version of the forest. So you have a few different locales. And one of them is an island. Uh, it's, it's tropical, but it's um, it starts out in the city. Uh one of the tracks especially and kind of takes you through this island and this track is like 13 miles long <laughs> it is absurd uh i think it's i think it's point to point there might be a version yeah. of it that isn't point to point that's a little bit shorter that actually does a loop but um i think it's called like palm city or something like that uh and it's just amazing. I mean, you have it all. Like, you start in a city, there's switchbacks up the side of a volcano, <laughs> and, and, and there and there are all these branching paths, too. Um, you know, there are a lot of alternate paths in this game that aren't necessarily shortcuts. Some of them will cut your time, and some of them won't. The computer will use all of them just as much as you do, which definitely helps provide this feeling of, of humanity to, like, the AI as opposed to those racing games where, you know, you're the only one who's ever using any yeah. of the shortcuts. And the track design in this game is just on their level. Like, it's just, it, it just really is. And unlike a lot of future Need for Speeds where I would say you had some amazing track design, or you, you had some good track design, but the physics were just not up to, up to par. Like, that's one of my greatest complaints about Hot Pursuit 2010 is the roads in that game are wide because you can't turn. Like it's yeah, it's just one of those that's, things. It's like just criterion need for speed. It's it's very it's very much like they designed the the world to accommodate the incapabilities. Yes, you know, not knowing what actual word I should say there, but you you understand what I'm trying to say. It's like yeah, it, yeah, it was yeah. very much with the limitations in mind. Um, whereas this game, you feel like you could do anything with these cars. Like it's a, it's a it's a tight handling model. But it's also a little bit nervous, which it's just nervous enough to kind of give you that sort of like uh, a good way of comparing it would probably be to grid. Like you never yeah, feel 100 yeah. percent in control in grid, but you feel it enough. And anything that's kind of beyond that point that's on the fringes of your control is just exciting. It's not frustrating. It's like, you know, it just adds to the thrill. And that's totally yeah. the case with with Hot Pursuit. So, yeah, I can I can obviously talk uh, forever about this so okay i'll give you a chance to chime in <laughs> no honestly the way you've been on about it has just made me since you've had the chance to just go on blast about it for 20 minutes like <laughs> i just i just want to go back and play it now and experience it myself because it's weird i can recall what you're talking about and i think i remember it fondly but it was so long ago that i'm just like i want to see that track again i want to experience it one more time yeah so um no it, 
I think what what you're describing is pretty much the the magnum opus of that era of Need for Speed, like the the high intensity, high frills. Uh, the the police have that perfect balance between superhero shit and um, ridiculous. Just a, a, like, they're not really a factor. The thing is, a lot of Need for Speed games either have one or the other. Whereas with this one, um, from what I recall as well, and what you've said, the, the the police do their job pretty much perfectly. And it's like you say, I think in the future, the idea of red team versus blue team became a bit too prominent. And I guess that's just because um, of the rise of online multiplayer and stuff. It makes sense to to try and make it as over the top and as exciting as possible, but I think, I mean, would you would you take a remaster of this game, or are you happy in its current state, like it's not something that really needs that? I mean, I would say it's not something that really needs it, but, you know, I think you could say that for a lot of a lot of the games we talk about that we love. Um, I, wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't complain, but it's just like, it's such a, it's such a flash in the pan in the sense that like it just it came at the right time. It knew exactly what it wanted to be. It was very stripped down. It didn't do anything frivolous. Like, you know, a couple years after this, you would get the full motion videos and the stories and stuff. And <laughs> and to be honest, I don't totally hate that. I was totally into it with the first most wanted. You know, I was yeah. all about fucking rising up the blacklist and getting my M3 back and all that shit. That that was that was, you know, candy to my like 12 year old ears or however old I was at that time but there's a simplicity to Hot Pursuit 2 that just works and it's like yeah I could say that like Need for Speed 3 was a really good game and like set the set the sort of framework for this to exist being the first Hot Pursuit and just helping that series kind of just get its shit together because like 2 is a, two's fun but 2 is also a mess and looks awful <laughs> and you know so you could say like three high stakes like those are also great games but it was perfected in in uh in in hot pursuit 2 i mean it just was it's 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 one of those things like you know i've been playing a lot of grand Turismo one actually lately too and, and i've been wanting to stream that and you know we love gt1 and we love gt2 but there's a reason why people i think go back to gt3 and 4 as their favorites it's simply because yeah. Uh, the, you got the sense that the technology finally caught up with the ambition and that's also the same way I feel about Need for Speed and this game like you know the, there were previous games that were good but Hot Pursuit 2 just had every piece and had every piece you know what the quality it needed to be at whether you're talking about you know the, the, I won't dwell too much on these things because I want to wind up the Hot Pursuit discussion but like the car <laughs> roster is great it's it's got a good gamut of everything from kind of like you know you start out with like the Vauxhall VX220 and the Lois Elise you get all the way up to that um I, I, I would say Holy Trinity but there's really no it's missing a third car but you do get the F1 LM and the CLK GTR oh. so you know and those are those are the need for speed cars to me those two cars deserve to be in every need for speed game you know the McLaren F1 I I wouldn't have known what that car was if not for Need for Speed 2. Yeah. So, you know, as when I was a kid anyway. They're basically the hero cars of those games, I would say. Oh, oh, absolutely, yeah. So you, you got the cars, you got the tracks. Um, the soundtrack's great. The soundtrack is, I mean, it's, it's honestly like stupid EA Tracks bullshit, but it's like good, <laughs> good EA Tracks bullshit. Um, even that, you know, silly Uncle, uncle uh, Cracker song is actually, you know, pretty catchy. <laughs> 
so <laughs> so yeah i mean hot pursuit 2 is just it for me i think and and, and i don't think I think while the selection of Hot Pursuit 2 is the best of the series overall is maybe a little bit controversial just because I feel like there are more fans of the street racing era and the the open world era. I think if you are someone who prefers that first run of games, then I I would be shocked if Hot Pursuit 2 wasn't your favorite, at least the PS2 version. and, and, and just to just to speak to that without going in too deep, the, the main differences are just the PS2 version looks better, is way faster, and has better physics and compared to the other versions, which are just very slow. Um, but yeah, that's, that's it. That's all I'll say. I'll stop it there because... <laughs> so just one question then. Who, who yeah. developed the other versions? So that so that was EA Seattle. Um, oh, EA Seattle. Right, yeah, yeah. So that was, you know, and, and I don't know if they... No, I think they were pretty much done with the series at that point because from then on it was black box for a long time. Uh, yeah, culminating in, in I think the game you're about to talk about, right? Oh yes, yeah. So if everyone knew what your choice was going to be, if you've been keeping up recently in terms of the Discord and some of the Twitch streams as well, this one should be um pretty obvious but for those uninitiated it's still going to be a surprise choice i guess um my last need for speed game to talk about on this episode of the need for speed series is uh, need for speed the run which would be black box's final need for speed game released in 2011. now need for speed the run is another one of these games funnily enough uh, similar to pro street in the sense that it had a bit of a a mixed reception critically, but I would say over time the run has ended up being looked upon more fondly than Pro, Spe- Pro Street sorry, ever has or ever will. And once again, it comes down to a f- focus. What is the focus of a game? Need for Speed The Run um, is basically a cinematic experience, in quotation marks, racing game where you take part in a massive uh, race across the US in many real life locations such as New York, Las Vegas, San Fran, uh, Chicago and uh, features a pretty extensive car list as well. Um, The main career mode of the game is actually a full scale story mode as I've said earlier and you play as another named protagonist in the Need for Speed universe, Jack Rourke, in a large-scale, basically cannonball-esque run race. Starting in San Fran, ends in New York. Um, yeah, so that is the kind of... the brief description of what the run aims to achieve. And, yeah, there's loads of like weird things about the run that, that always... Have, appeals to me when I think back on it and I can see that they really did dedicate a lot of time in this and funnily enough this is one of the few games that Black Box developed that EA granted them an extended development window to make Um, that was primarily guided by the idea that EA totally bought into the concept Um, I'm pretty sure one of their execs said at one point that it would blow the doors off the racing category of games and um, the other side of it is that the Frostbite 2 engine was used in development and the Frostbite 2 engine at the time had never been used for anything else but shooters so there was a yeah Battlefield exactly so there's a lot of work to be done there that involved Black Box working with DICE for like a concentrated nine month period prior to initial development even begun so there, there was a lot of work put into this game 
and um, that also extended um, into the soundtrack of the game. So EA hired Brian Tyler to compose the entire soundtrack from start to finish. Uh, Brian Tyler will be mo- known mostly now for doing the Formula <laughs> One theme song. And da, also, da, 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 da. <laughs> exactly, you can put that in the background just to confuse people before I say that. <laughs> and, um, uh, and then he's also done uh, loads of movies, Iron Man, Power Rangers, etc., etc. He's actually he's got a, a vast and wide career, so I don't. Think oh, he he, he is cheap. a he's a prolific um, yeah. composer. Absolutely, he was. Uh, I remember writing a story for GT Planet about like something he did. I think it might be Gran Turismo related. No, no, it might have been Project Cars actually. Uh, yeah, regardless. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> the guy, the guy doesn't doesn't stop hustling. Put it that way. <laughs> and um, yeah, he believed in the concept so much. One of the things they said right away was, if we're going to do this right, we need a movie composer, TV show composer. They got Brian Tyler in, and. Just as a kind of a side note on that, he does a phenomenal job. The, the orchestral soundtrack of Need for Speed to Run is one of the reasons it's so good, and I'll get into that a bit later. But, yeah, I mean, before I go off on one, <laughs> Adam, um, Need for Speed to Run, what's, what's your history with it? I played the demo, and I didn't really play it at all after that. Yeah. Uh, it, it dropped at an interesting time, right? This was 2011? Yeah. Yeah. Which places it firmly in between Criterion's Hot Pursuit and Criterion's Most Wanted. (laughs) And I feel like, and and this might just be me, I, you know, I won't, I'll hesitate before I put this on anyone else, but the way that I interpreted this was we finally got Need for Speed to move in a refreshing new direction with Criterion's involvement and Black Box is coming back to do undercover again (laughs) which obviously is an unfair assessment and the game is much better than undercover was but that was that was the way i read at the time was just like why like i and and for that reason i think i dismissed it you know quite unfairly uh it was also kind of one of those like it was sort of an onrush type situation where i was looking at and i was like i don't know what you do in this game (laughs) yeah it's not really a game that lends itself t- to a demo, much like Onrush, funnily enough, like you're saying. So, for the, avo- the avoidance of doubt clear there, effectively, the entire story mode is one singular race. So you start in like 150th, you need to get to first. In each stage, you can either need to take over a certain amount of cars to progress, or you'll do time sector events, where you have to get to certain checkpoints within the time limit. That, that's effectively how it's broken up. And then there's also some weird on-foot segments that are pretty pointless, but they, they're, they're kind of necessary, I suppose, to, to continue the story. So, the reason like I really like the run is because of the fact it's a racing game like no other for the reasons we've just said. Effectively, the whole game is one race. And because of that, it needs to kind of keep things interesting in terms of location, in terms of stage design, getting you in different cars, how does it go about that? So that the story mode of the game, um, it commits to it in a very cringe level, like the, the serious cringe nature of the story is pretty hilarious looking back, but 
you get to a certain point where you're just so used to the, the stupid, like, over-the-top reactions from other drivers when you try and overtake them, or a guy literally pulling out a gun to try and shoot you <laughs> you go to overtake <laughs> him. Wow. Um, he manages to miss, so that's all right. Um, like, you get to about the third stage in, and you just start to have a good time. Like, last time I played through this on the stream, we did a full, long playthrough of it. Four hours, start to finish, completed the game. Um... And it's just, it's just so fun to play because there's nothing else like it out there and that's one of the reasons I love it so much because how, how many other racing games could you complete from start to finish in four hours but it's got a running narrative through it, it's got variation in events, it's got really cool showpieces like the Avalanche one that you were talking about, they shouldn't have put that in the demo because it makes a lot more sense in the full game and feels a lot more weighty as well. There's just something about that unique type of racing game experience that can't really be looked at through a normal racing game lens, but that's exactly what happened when it came out, because the the critical reception was incredibly harsh, criticising the length of the game, saying it's too short, um, saying there's not enough variation. But if you look under the surface, there's a bit more to it. So obviously you've got the story mode, which can be completed start to finish in about four hours if you're good at the game. That is short totally agree but the game also includes an incredibly fleshed out challenge series mode which is basically like your drive club type career mode where you just you iterate through events you unlock further series you get different challenges you've got to use different cars you've got to tick off certain challenges to progress and to complete that that is a very difficult mode to play through and that could take upwards of about 25 hours I would guess based on the, I got the platinum on PS3 when I played this game wow. um, the challenge series alone is longer than most Need for Speed games but at the time the narrative <laughs> was this game isn't long enough blah 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 and it's a shame because I think Black Box when they, they, they wrote the story mode of the game Four hours is perfectly reasonable for a racing game story because fucking Hollywood films can't extend a racing game story over two hours. Yeah, I mean, they <laughs> made a Need for Speed movie and no one liked it. Yeah, and that, that's one of the points I've wrote down. <laughs> Being brutally honest, this is better than the Need for Speed movie that's clearly based <laughs> off of it, which is funny as fuck. Like, you can get Aaron Paul, Rami Malek, uh, fucking who else is in that film? Michael Keaton? Like, there's the cast oh, wow. in the Need for Speed film is ridiculous. Um, but it's it's a butchered version of The Run. Like, I'm half convinced they looked at the script of The Run and then adapted a movie game for a movie, but forgot to include all the fun parts, because this is the part where I'll talk about the, the avalanche section. So... The reason this is linked to the cinematic discussion about the game and how the story isn't good, I'm getting out of there, I just mean in terms of the cinematic storytelling, how the game's structured. You do the first four stages, which takes you through like the typical foresty area, you start off uh, San Francisco, you do all of that, a little farming place as well, I can't remember the exact names, <laughs> I'm not very good with geography, and then you get to Summit Pass, I think it's called, something like that. Um, which is like the the stage that happens exactly the middle way through the story. So in terms of the story is told, you start from scratch, you move up the, the bell curve almost, and you get to the, the kind of the turning point of the story where your man, Jack Rourke, ends up at the top of a mountain. It says the, the road is closed for uh, 
planned explosions and detonations because of course um ah, it's okay. it, it just like it's a cut scene and he's just sitting looking at the sign it's fucking freezing space he's rubbing his hands together <laughs> it's just like what am, I, what am i supposed to do here and then of course a fucking aston martin comes out from behind them and just keeps going right through the sign smashing it to pieces that that's enough that that convinces jack enough to just like fuck it going down this mountain Surely there's no other routes. <laughs> so, um, unlike the demo where they they did the weird like past ten cars thing you were talking about on this stage, in the final game it's a one v one showdown between you and the Aston Martin basically. Um, mm. and it's just a phenomenal stage to play, and there's there's just nothing else like it really in terms of racing games. The closest that tries to emulate this type of driving is probably the, the Bizarre Creations James Bond games, funnily enough. Yeah, that makes um, sense. And it's just so much fun because the it's got the best track in the game that uh, Brian Tyler scored as well. And the, the music in this stage is dynamic to what's happening as well. So when you're out in the kind of snow wilderness at the start, it's kind of building up slowly. And then you go through the first lit tunnel an alpine tunnel basically you know exactly what i'm talking about um and the lights start to flicker and you hear a, a kind of a small rumbling in the background like an explosion rumble and the lights flicker in the tunnel and the music just stops uh the game automatically kind of scales up the engine noise to be really high as if it's a forza game <laughs> the rumbling engine takes over you emerge out the tunnel the engine sounds go back to what they were prior to that. The Brian Tyler score really kicks in. And then in the distance, you can see the first avalanche happening. And what happens here is, the Aston Martin overtook you at the start. You can see that in the distance getting absolutely fucking annihilated. They don't hold back. <laughs> the car just gets caught in the avalanche. <laughs> it bursts into pieces. And then it basically goes up on the screen. Survive the avalanche. The goal has changed. Because no wow. longer is it about beating the Aston Martin. Jack's made a <laughs> fucking... About he's, he's, fu- he's fucked it, <laughs> so he's got to find <laughs> a way to get out. And then... So the game obviously uses the the visual elements of the avalanche to make it look cool. The soundtrack swells and it's really great. But what it does eventually is turn it into like a Crash Bandicoot level, basically. Where oh, you go through like loads of crevasses um, in the mountain where all the rocks fall onto the track directly. So the, the rocks fall, you've got to dodge around the rocks. Yeah. But because of the snow, it obscures your vision as well. So you, you, the more you go into the avalanche, the more you start to have your vision restricted and you survive. And then you get into the next tunnel. So the tunnel is basically at this checkpoint. You get into the next tunnel and rather than the lights flickering, they just basically go fully out with a slight light flickering in the tunnel. Uh, the soundtrack picks up. It's just a fucking great experience. And you go into the final segment, which isn't any twisty corners or anything like that. It's just a straight line. You can see the end of the tunnel where the stage ends. So like, get over there, get it done. But the fucking... The obstacles in your path, you've already got rocks that have fallen, like the other part, but now more rocks are falling as well to like basically obscure your path as you're driving. And then there's a really cool section, and it's only for cinematic effect as far as I can see, because even on extreme difficulty it never catches you. But above the tunnel is a massive like cliff edge, and the snow and avalanche is falling directly coming towards you. See like the, the high stakes box art where it's like the car in the tunnel? Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's like the snow in this scenario, it's just coming down and like getting closer and closer. 
and you just make it into the tunnel at the right time. Soundtracks, wells, it comes up, survived, plus 250 XP, because <laughs> clearly that, that's, that's, a, that's a, a relevant point to bring up after right, all right. that epicness. But, I mean, describing it can only do it so much justice, because... No, no, that sounds... That sounds pretty special. Like I, yeah. I want to check it out for that reason. I, I think it's funny you talk about the music a lot. I absolutely can't stand orchestras in racing games. I, I get that, yeah. When Project Cars does it, I hate oh. it. When uh, Ferrari Challenge Trophy <laughs> Pirelli did it oh, on no, PS3, man. I couldn't stand that either. Yeah. I think what it is, though, it's it's a difference between a an orchestral score that sounds gratuitous and fake versus one that obviously a lot of attention was put into, which is yeah. clearly the case with the run. Because, I mean, it's not just like, oh, we took classicalmusic.mp3 and we put it you know, on top <laughs> of the menu. We yeah. designed this, we scored this, as opposed to just put the song in the game. Uh, we scored it to this level and the set piece. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's... It, as you're describing all of it, you're talking about like how sure of an experience it is, but how also kind of focused it is and narrative driven it is. I can't help but think that it's sort of like Ridge Racer Type Four. <laughs> oh man, what a comparison that is! There's your there's your <laughs> BuzzFeed article title right there. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, there's just like you're saying, the game is scored, and it was scored like any film would be in the sense that. Brian was able to watch what was going to happen, see the storyboards and write the soundtrack around that. And it's it just makes for a fantastic experience. And the thing about the Avalanche section as well, it sounds like absolute nonsense, but it's something that's became a, a bit of a, a conversation point very recently, actually, with The Last of Us 2 leaks, for example. It's when you see that Avalanche section as part of the full puzzle when you see when you, you actually experience that stage after the parts that came before it and then how the game uses that as a building point going forward to show that Jack's gonna fucking win this race. Like he's gonna make sure he wins it. <laughs> so they're able to kind of increase the stakes a bit more. They're able to make the races a bit more exciting. Um the Avalanche set piece just works as the perfect peak of the game's kind of storytelling and the the actual kind of story mode itself. It peaks at this point and then from that point onwards, it's basically the journey to get to the end of the race. So it's weird, like, the story itself is obviously non-existent in the sense of, like, any drama or the characters you give a fuck about. It's not really about that, but rather, I think Black Box actually nailed how a story should progress, which is a bit more... Which is a bit... It's, it's a bit more impressive than you would ever expect. Like, the story progresses in a way that doesn't feel misleading or feel kind of uneven it's it's a nice narrative told that's kept as minimal as possible to keep you on the track at the end of the day when you complete it you still don't care about the characters but you can appreciate the, the kind of logic behind the way the stages were set up and then that also I won't go into as massive detail about it um, but the final stage is basically a boss battle from a game <laughs> like you're fucking you're basically racing in the final stage, which is in New York, and it involves getting in the subway system, um, avoiding trains. It's honestly like Pepsi Man, mate. That's that's where they get ins- <laughs> that's where they get inspiration. You're avoiding trains, and you aren't just like switching lanes to avoid them. There's like really cool segments where 
you come to a, a bend and there is only one lane but the train's coming towards you so you kind of drive up the wall a little bit and you kind of creep past and the camera pans to the side and it shakes um and then uh, the final the kind of the final part of the race is basically a drag race between you and the other driver on a, a shipyard so you're avoiding all these like kind of obstacles that are in the way it's the game does a good job in these showpiece events making it really interesting and exciting but the actual kind of core gameplay as well it is, it isn't too shabby and i would argue that yeah it's four hours long maybe Maybe that's an easy criticism to level at it, but I would also say that there aren't many racing games that you could play from start to completion in four hours and feel pretty satisfied with it, especially now. Yeah, it, it just sounds like they took a massive risk and it, again, didn't pay off critically or financially, yeah. but um, <laughs> looking back on it, it just it's good that they took that risk it's good that they tried something different and it's kind of you know a, a bittersweet it seems like sort of a swan song for that studio because because they would never work on their need for speed title again and um yeah. my box isn't around anymore right so that that was pretty much the end for them yeah exactly and the there were still kind of indications of maybe some tunnel turmoil like kind of internally because one of the, the quotes that was given at E3 the game was announced was this game isn't about customization like at all. This that that would deviate from what we wanted to create. Um this is gonna be a whole new direction for our part of the Need for Speed franchise. We want to focus on the story progression and the race singular, obviously, itself. And then uh, two months later the game did end up having customization. <laughs> so um I think at one point EA must have not, not quite damage control, but they must have realised perhaps that the sum of its parts just wasn't where it needed to be to take such a risk like that and almost a token gesture, including some form of customization within the game, is if that's what Need for Speed is about. And I guess for Black Box it was for a long time. If you consider the games they made at the start of their tenure compared to the run, I think it's impressive how black box were seemingly always up for a challenge and i'm not throwing any shade at criterion here but it seems like they very much know this is our vision of a need for speed game and we'll always stick to that but with black box that wasn't the case they were involved in so many strange versions of need for speed that don't really conform to what we expect from it but they were also good at doing the the kind of the, the era they're most known for so to be honest like you say um this was their final game it didn't go to plan at all and let's not beat around the bush as well like the, the handling engine isn't fantastic it's serviceable perhaps if it had a better handling engine it might have been better received as well um and then obviously the, the easiness for it to review and make a comment about how short it is when it doesn't really tell the full picture because even in terms of like hidden content in the game there's fucking gt3 cars in this game for some reason that they'll knock at a certain point <laughs> wow. yeah the, there's the porsche uh, 918 rsr concept as well um there are a load of cars that you you would never see just playing through the career mode so once again um if it's reviewed on the basis of the i keep saying career the, the story mode you're missing out and like 30 or 40 cars and yeah that includes a BMW Z4 GT3 <laughs> the Porsche 918 RSR um, all the Need for Speed editions as well the the hero cars are in there hidden as well you can unlock so 
yeah, I think it's a, it's a weird beast. I think one of the issues in Need for Speed always tends to run into, may, maybe actually not so much these days, but definitely in that late 2000s era, because they had, you know, slash early 10s, because they, they had Black Box. They were trying to do something else with Criterion. And back then, let's not forget, there was also slightly mad studios and shit. Yeah. So, and I think Shift 2, I think was, uh, I want to say 2010. It was, yeah. Yeah, so this series is all over the map. And look, to you and me and the people listening to the show, you know that a Need for Speed Shift game is not the same as a Need for Speed game. But EA is counting on that brand recognition to get them sales. And like Need for Speed has always kind of been that racing game, kind of like Call of Duty, where it's like you see the title, you know for the most part you know what you're getting. You're getting some sort of action arcade racing game. You probably don't expect like a movie with an orchestral score in it that doesn't have customization. You probably don't expect like a sim racer. Like it's this weird balance that they're trying to strike where it's like, we want this to piggyback off the success of this brand, but we, because we want it to get, you know, we want it to reach people and end up in, you know, people's hands. But we also want to branch out, but we're not confident enough in the titles and you know alone, and our ability to market them without the Need for Speed name to just have the run you know just be called the run or something like that. You know we we can't come up with new IP for these uh, be, because we don't we believe in them but we don't believe in them that much and so yes it, it yeah. just leaves it in a really really weird and tragic place. Um, you know, we, we, we know what kind of went down between Slightly Mad and EA. And it's just like you, you have all of these studios with great ideas that it just seems like one comes in, they they do their work, and then they're they're quickly exchanged. You know, it's, it's yeah. almost disposable. And, and it contributes to this weird sense with, with the series where it's like they're constantly changing their plan. I mean between the way that most wanted 2012 went down and then you had ghost games and then ghost games (laughs) ghost games took forever to make a really i'd argue you know great need for speed game and now that's it for them they're done it's it's back to criterion granted there were some you know ghost uk and criterion i think have a there, there's there's a bloodline there that is close (sighs) but like it's just it's mind-numbing to try and follow and it's just one of those things that leaves you feeling like if you just let them make the game yeah because the thing about the return to Criterion as well the reason Criterion was kind of dropped from the series was because the fans didn't seem to like those games but now Criterion's back in charge and people are saying that's what they wanted all along I think Need for Speed is also a series that it tries to listen to its fans and the current car culture a bit too much at times and it seems to just totally pull the game all over the place because like Need for Speed 2015 for example at one point they were saying that was like in the same lineage as Carbon and those type of games but really it was its own type of thing and I think that kind of set unrealistic expectations for a lot of people because like I don't know like I think with Need for Speed I always 
like to try and appreciate the strange things they do in them as my choices have proven and like even like the full motion videos and stuff in 2015 sure they were like, cringe as fuck but like <laughs> they were still like so odd and interesting that that's the route they went down that when i was playing it i was just like you know what this is like nothing else i'm playing right now for better or worse so fair play they're really technologically impressive because i think they they meld like, yeah they blend it yeah they, they blend like the car models like really high poly cgi models with like actual people or maybe it's a reverse i really can't remember but it's it's something absurd yeah <laughs> but the thing was about those ones as well the same people who would probably be going on about oh I loved Most Wanted were going about how cringe those cutscenes were and stuff and you know what maybe go back and watch Most Wanted PS2's cutscenes as well oh, because yeah, if you're not looking through those through like an ironic lens and enjoying them then there's something wrong there. Listen I've you know I, I played through Heat. I liked Heat as I've said numerous times. Yeah. Um, yeah the story in that game is stupid. The, the, the cops the cops in that game are terrorists. <laughs> Um, it it is absolutely oh. absurd. It's the dumbest plot in the world, but you know that's what I kind of wanted from this series. Yeah. I, I I wanted a game that made me feel like it was two thousand five again, and you know all that mattered was that I won enough races to get the the race exhaust or whatever or a new bumper yeah. for my m3 you know i wanted something just really simple like that with a really stupid story and i'm not gonna lie i look forward to all the cutscenes in heat because like i i couldn't wait to see how this stupid wrestling show of a of a action movie <laughs> like unfolded like what was gonna happen next it, it becomes like a soap opera and it's oh, it's that, entertaining yeah. uh you know i you can make fun of those things, but I think what we have to realize is like the reason that these games, some of these games don't work out is not, it's not because of that. It's because of the game, you know, it's, yeah, the story matters, but the story, you have to want to play through the game for the story to rub you one way or another. And you're not going to want to play through the game if you can't take a corner, which was my issue with 2015 the whole time. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, I don't think there's anything to be gained from making fun of that because you know millions of people see fast and furious every couple of years and have a great time doing it so yeah exactly and i think as well like just thinking about heat like the very first cutscene of that game the cops try and fucking kill someone like right there oh, and yeah. then for oh, driving yeah. fast like the game sets its tone right away and it's fantastic to enjoy maybe 2015 might have rubbed people the wrong way because it does have that kind of pseudo realistic drama about oh always remember your crew and stuff like that but i don't know man i, I really i really enjoyed how silly 2015's cutscenes were i really enjoyed how silly the run treats its flimsy premise so seriously and it, i mean just a side point about the run as well christina hendrix is in it for some reason <laughs> i don't know why um <laughs> yeah well <laughs> It's actually really funny. Uh, this past weekend, I watched uh, Drive, you know, oh, with uh, Ryan Gosling, yeah, yeah. Christina Hendricks in that too. Uh, also, could have been a Need for Speed title if they wanted to. Well, yeah. wasn't uh, there was recently that leak or something that they they were planning a game that was like Terror Five or something like that, where you you played as like a, you played as a terrorist, something oh, absurd. God. Yeah, yeah, I did see that actually. Yeah, you, yeah, you Drive cannot blame. Especially, though. What what was that? Good. Drive especially, that, that could have been a good game. 
Drive could have been a Need for Speed game, yeah. Uh, yeah. You can't blame them for not thinking outside the box. I, I think the problem is that, you know, you have these ideas and then corporate culture gets in the way. And then, you know, who knows how much of that actually bleeds through to the final product. Yeah, especially with something like so dependent on culture like Need for Speed. There's always going to be that expectancy from EA's side that the developer is going to be tapping into whatever's relevant at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely want to go revisit Pro Street now um, and play Rudden for the first time. And luckily, uh, should be able to do that pretty quickly, at least for the story mode. Is it on PC? Yeah, it's on Origin. You can get it there. It's like £3 or £5 my currency. So I think I'll be like, five dollars and that's the thing like i don't know if that's also the reason it's aged so well to me because like you can spend like five bucks you get to play through a four hour racing game story mode like no other and then you'll be like yep that was all right or yep i really enjoyed that the thing is as well like the, the handling mode like i said it's it's far from fantastic it's very heavy feeling um but all those games it, from that era were extremely yeah, heavy yeah. yeah and it feels like it was built for this kind of cinematic type racing as well so that's why i don't think it demos well because you're throwing it at somebody they expect a regular racing game but it's it's not really like that it's this it's a racing game and name alone really it's, it's more of a cinematic driving type experience which is so odd and i guess why it didn't really find a, a marketplace yeah i have to think that there is a place for that you know especially with like we mentioned Fast before, and Slightly Mad is working on that Fast and Furious game, so... Yeah, yeah. We'll see. You know, I, I and I think that's why Need for Speed, still, to this day, I hold kind of a soft spot in my heart for Need for Speed, because even though it's hit or miss, and even though it's not everything pans out correctly, um, it's been around for so long. It's an institution and I don't want it to go away. You know, I don't necessarily always have the best expectations of it, but, uh, I don't want it to disappear because, you know, again, it's a time where like the more, the more arcade racers that can exist, the better. <laughs> exactly. And how many Big other budget ones racing... too? Because yeah, exactly. you know, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing on the AAA level really like that anymore, except for a, a Forza horizon. It'll, it'll be interesting to see, I think uh, we've kind of talked about this a few times, like Forza Horizon's impact on the racing game genre, I think in the, the coming years we might see its influence kind of seep into the the kind of racing genre more and more. So we'll see it before the end of the year when Dirt 5 comes out. Oh god, yeah, exactly, <laughs> nice way to tie that <laughs> But Need for Speed, you've got, you've got the Pro Street name sitting there, <laughs> you, you yep. know what to do. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening to the first episode of our Need for Speed series. Uh, we'll we'll come back next time with some more picks and um, don't get too mad at us if we make fun of your favorite entry. Uh, we're only doing it out of love and and for I'm a laugh. I'm looking forward to this. Um, and also, don't get mad because we haven't talked about the underground games like we said at the start of the pod. We want to make sure we give those the time and respect we need because it will probably either cancel us or uncancel us depending on how we end up discussing it. Also, I'm not going to lie. When I was like 10, I was like, street racing stupid. And like, I'm <laughs> I'm kind of past that now. But like, I have, I, 
I never want to revisit the era of like underground street racing syndicate juice. I like that's not something oh, that holds just. that holds any place, <laughs> any any warm place in my heart. So like, yeah, you don't you don't want me to go off on this game without actually having played it and have something to point to, or else I'll just sound like an idiot. Oh, we need to do an episode on all the fucking terrible street racing games. <laughs> oh, There'll be a return of seven out of ten racers for sure. Oh gosh, yeah. Mate, we've got we've got too much going on. That's the issue. Too much. <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna go play some more Need for Speed games. Brendan, you're gonna do the same, and we will yep. see you next time. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.